0: Welcome to the NCLA Podcast. I am your host, Rachel Mann, coming to you from Phoenix, Arizona. And today I have two special guests, John Tursik and Lindsay Balderez. And we're going to be discussing education and business relationships and the story of partnerships and, and some ideas that you may be able to replicate in your context and instead of me introducing the guests, what I would like to do is have them introduce each other. So, John, could you uh, share with us a little bit about Lindsay?
1: I sure can, uh, Rachel, and uh, allow me to say thanks for having uh, both of us on. Uh, really looking forward to things. So, Lindsay, Dr. Lindsay Valderas, I never referred to her as a doctor, especially over the last year, uh, since we've gotten <laughs> to know each other pretty well. Um But uh, I met uh, Lindsay about a year ago. We were introduced by a mutual uh, friend, uh, another academician and professor at the University of Texas, Permian Basin, uh, Dr. Ken Badgett. And uh, Lindsay is a very interesting individual, at least from my perspective, because not only is she an academician and not only is she a professor in the College of Education, uh, at the University of Texas, she is the founder and director of her own private school, uh, the Transformative Leadership Academy, which she has been kind enough to partner with me on to uh, review and test our pilot program for partnership development, which has some unique components. And her academy is just is just well organized uh, to to use it as a uh, as a test bed and a platform. So I have a lot of respect for Lindsay. The brief uh, one year that I've known her, where's the entrepreneurial hat and where's the academician hat? So all I can say is uh, she brings more to the table than I do. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that it may be true. Actually, I'll say now. I'm just I'm teasing John. So um, you hurt
1: me, Lindsay. I'll tell you all.
2: <laughs> John, um, I have had the fortune of knowing um he has a very different background from myself he is a a businessman and knows all things related to business and has worked in a, a variety of different um aspects and roles uh, leadership roles in business and this partnership um and our fortunate meeting has been so useful to me because he has taught me a lot about um, the strategies needed for networking and uh, forming um, sustainable partnerships, and he he's always kind of moving. He's always got things going on, and he's kind enough to kind of bring me along for the ride. Which, because my background is in education, you know, those are not necessarily my strengths. And so his strengths complement mine well. And so it's been a a really nice um, time collaborating with him and some other colleagues that that we're working with out of the University of Texas Permian Basin. But um, he is definitely the man with the business hat uh, in the group. So um, and we like to make fun of him a little bit for that, but it's all in good fun.
1: That's untrue. Well, they, make, they make fun of me a lot,
0: Rachel. It's terrible. <laughs> All right. So the therapy session will follow the podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, and I've learned so much about both of you over the last couple of weeks of, from, uh, from the first introduction that I received from John, John Quatman, who is a former ACT board member, introduced us when I was looking for some experts in disruptive technology. And through John Lindsay, I feel like I'm stalking you because he sent me so many links on your work and I've uh, got to explore all of the amazing things that you've done. And it's just so exciting to have both of you here today and to really learn about the innovative work that's happening in education that many of our guests may may not know about, and also may be able to replicate some of this into their own districts or schools or classrooms, depending on their context. So I'm super excited to have both of you and to learn from both of you and also to provide our listeners with some excellent content that that can transform the work that they're doing as well. Yes. Now, you mentioned that you met through doc, Dr. Badgett. And I know that both of your ventures began separately, but there's some parallel pieces to it. So can you share a little bit about how you are moving forward together, how you met uh, initially and those uh, pieces that are parallel and how you're growing?
1: Lindsay, you want me to? Uh,
2: yeah, sure. You take it first, John. All
0: right. I'll, uh, I'll tell how, how uh,
1: Dr. Badgett had the uh, distinct pleasure of meeting me, uh, um, but um Yeah, it it was actually a very interesting start because, as Lindsay said, you know, I'm not an educator. I'm not a teacher. uh, I I was a a business guy in relationship uh, and uh, business development. And I was looking to bring some things to the table based on my history and my skill sets that I thought could be valuable, especially uh, several years ago when I heard about a lot of the emphasis for all the very good reasons of education reaching out to businesses to develop collaborations and education business partnerships. So, you know, I started taking a look at it, started studying it, and I thought, well, there are some good things being done, but I've been reading a lot of research about how folks on the education side as well as the business side are still somewhat confused about how they should approach this, what are the best methodologies for sustainability, et cetera, et cetera. So I started doing my own research, started talking to different foundations, different education leaders, actually started in the Pittsburgh area and they moved across the country. And one day I'm doing a little Google, Googling and uh, I came across this, this topic uh, uh, and it's, it, uh, the topic in the article was uh, education business partnerships from the business perspective and was authored by Dr. Kevin Badger, the University of Texas, Permian Basin. I said, well, let me check this thing out. So I did. And as I've told people, it says, it's like I commissioned him to do this study. Everything that I knew was right and I had practiced, because the premise of everything we're talking about is essentially this, that the skill sets, the approaches, the methodologies, the attitudes the functionalities that one needs in business to develop sustainable, productive business-to-business or business-to-client relationships are the same skill sets that are needed in the education-to-business development world on both sides. And essentially, Dr. Badgett had done a study uh, and came, came to the same conclusions. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I have, a, I have an academician and not just a business guy who thinks this way. So I had this brilliant thought. I thought, well, I'm going to call him up. I'm going to talk to him. So I sent him a note, reached out to him. And uh, without droning on, we developed a relationship. We developed and still have a friendship. Uh, as a matter of fact, the uh, friendship I've developed with Lindsay now, uh, I, it started with Kevin. And we started talking about our the approaches and what he's discovered what I was trying to do. And essentially, after about a, you know, we were communicating for a year, six months or so. And I said, you know, Kevin, I said, the only way I'm going to get some credibility and really test these premises, even though there's tons of data on the business side, there's not a lot on the educational side to validate this. You're one of the few studies I've seen. He says, there isn't a lot out there. I said, I need a partner. I need a partner to test this. So he said, yeah, you you probably do. And one day he calls me up. He goes, um, would you like to partner with one of my colleagues from the university? She just started a school and I think she'd be very interested in doing this. And I went, Okay, that sounds pretty good to me. And so he was kind enough to introduce me to Lindsay. Uh, Lindsay spent some time talking to me and she's still around. This is what I'm stunned yeah. about. After a year's time, she's gotten to know me and she hasn't run. So, um, uh, you know, so Kevin was the matchmaker. And Kevin has joined our team, also with a uh, another individual who we won't meet today, uh, uh, Lauren Neal, who's actually handling the research study on this. Um, but uh, Kevin, Kevin was the introduction person. He was the matchmaker. Uh, he introduced me to Lindsay behind the scenes, similar to uh, you know what you were talking about, how uh, you were introduced um, uh, by John Quatman. Uh, to Lindsay and myself, Kevin played the exact same role. so Lindsay, how about you take it from there after sure. you met this crazy guy by one from yeah. one of your colleagues, how did the story so, play out?
2: Yeah, so while John was busy doing research and working on um, trying to understand how to apply these uh, business principles in an education um, setting, I was busy studying education just uh, school frameworks and what needs to happen to kind of transform the way we do education to meet our 21st century learners needs. There are so many things that have changed over the last decade, uh, you know, the last 50 years. But one thing that really hasn't changed is the way people approach education. And that's kind of unfortunate in my eyes. Um, and so I've been, I was doing a lot of research on that. What, what's the best model? How can we really meet these students' needs? And especially focused on diverse learners. So my background is actually in special education. Uh, my dissertation was um, was on autism research. Spent a lot of time looking in how to make sure that um, all learners' needs are being met. And right now we don't have a great system for doing that in the current school model. That's, you know, prominent in the United States. And I I worked as a a teacher, um, a special education teacher. I saw it firsthand how difficult it can be to make sure that my students who had special learning needs to make sure that their needs were being met. And uh, so after my research, I developed this transformative learning model, and and we'll talk about that in a little bit more detail. But one aspect of it is making sure that the community plays a very active role in um, our students' learning and that they have some ownership in those learning outcomes. And so when uh, Kevin Badgett announced in one of our faculty meetings about something that he was Working on, and he was looking for anybody else who might be interested. It, you know, it piqued my interest immediately, and so um, you know, I, I got on the the phone with John, and we started talking. And the principles that he had uh, found to be true, I had seen firsthand as well. I was also working with a um, education partnership in the Permian Basin, looking at bringing in business stakeholders and other community stakeholders into an improvement plan for the school district. Because the area that I live and work in, um, we have some very significant challenges in education. Um, And so they were looking to use a collaborative impact model to try and make some changes. So anyways, that was what I was focused on. And John's framework really fits so well with what I believe to be true about making education fit for our 21st century learners. And so uh, it was kind of a perfect match for us, and it's been really productive. We have so many different things moving, and we have a similar mindset about um, what's going to work for kids and what's going to prepare them to be able to enter their career fields uh, and be successful in the future.
1: This is probably not going to surprise you, and Lindsay can elaborate on it. But you know, the dynamic of forming our partnership, uh, Lindsay's and mine's, and uh, Kevin Badgetts, and our other colleagues at the university. This is all, this is an analogous living lab to these constructs in business and education developments because one of the key issues that you need to address first, and you need to everybody needs to get comfortable with, is the fact that there is a large cultural dissonance and difference between the business world and the education world, and unless that's understood and addressed it becomes very difficult to get things accomplished because both sides are sort of miss each other. They pass each other like ships in the night because there's different sets of ex- expectations. And we've even discovered that, uh, haven't we, Lindsay? I mean, as we've sure. gotten to know each other.
2: Yeah. We've, we've seen in our society that, um, things have almost become too siloed where these, you know, people focus only on their work and, you know, these people, and, and we're talking about educators, they are the experts in education. So they're kind of out there alone, doing all the education things. And, you know, business owners are doing their thing and nonprofits are doing their thing. And there isn't enough communication across these different organizations. And uh, we've moved, I think, too far in that direction. And John and I both see the value in us all kind of pulling back together and seeing what our commonalities are, how each other's strengths can complement um, the others, and uh, and that's, you know, in my opinion, really where we need to begin moving with education is pulling in strengths from other organizations and not just staying in our silos anymore. I am so glad that
0: you've mentioned this. This whole cultural dissonance piece. It's huge. And we see it within career technical education. When we have industry professionals come in who are moving from the business world into a teaching position in the classroom. And so many times they experience this huge frustration because they see what works in business and industry, even in training their employees. But in the education realm, We have very, our very rigid approach sometimes to how we do education. And I, I think that sometimes it hinders really learning from each other because business and industry in many cases have done some great research on what truly works with, with learning. Like I look at some of the research that's happening with some of the uh, big, bigger companies. within the military where they're learning that micro modules and individualized education is the way to go with retraining their employees. And yet it's something that we, we could incorporate into our education system as well, both with professional development and with teaching. Um, but yeah, there's tons we can learn from each other, but really, again, like you said, seeing those commonalities instead of constantly struggling and pushing against how each other each group does things. Right. But, and, and, you know, and one of
2: my uh, opinions is, um, and this is kind of a, a part of the framework of the Transformative Leadership Academy and the transformative learning model, is that you have to be willing to put all your practices on the table and sort through them and decide which ones are actually le- leading to positive outcomes. And which ones are not? And if they are not, we have to be willing to get rid of those, you know, no sacred cows. We have to be willing to look at our practices and evaluate them on an ongoing basis to make sure that the outcomes are the best they can possibly be. And sometimes in education, we hold on to a lot of these these things we don't want to let go because we think this is what education is. It always has been. And uh, there's some resistance to that transformation. And I understand it's tough, but um, that's the only way we can, you know, stay up with the innovation that's available to us.
1: And Lindsay makes an excellent point because an analogous phenomenon happens on the business side. And, you know, between uh, Dr. Badgett's study and you know, the stuff that I did and then got excited about when I saw his work, call it 10 or 12 key elements uh, that that you have to be cognizant, have to be aware of if you're going to make these partnerships work. And so along with this cultural dissonance element, there's another component of, you know, call it ego, call it stuck in your own ways. Uh, where you know on the business side, uh, the boys and girls there think they're the experts, and they can't figure out what these folks are doing on the education side. And then <laughs> the folks on the education side are going, "Who do these people in business think they are? They don't understand what we have to go through." So there, there is a you know a bumping up of this dissonance that you know uh, gets even louder in in the sense that. People think they're experts. And so one of the cr- critical elements is there has to be an awareness and then work on on the fact that there are no experts. This is a collaboration. And if it's not a collaboration, we have problems. But you have to get rid of the egocentric, we're the experts in this, uh, if, if the collaboration is going to work. So, yeah, the uh, the bad boys and bad girls live on both sides of the equation, so to speak.
0: <laughs> well, and it's Lindsay. What you were saying about the uh, the transformative piece and reexamining best practices, I actually started working on a book that I haven't finished. That's that is addressing best practices that aren't aren't really best practices, and in fact, they can hinder learning. And one that is an unpopular opinion, but I hold to this: something as simple as writing objectives on the board every day. That's something that as a teacher, I was always praised during my evaluations. That was such a big deal that I had my objective written on the board. And I was great at writing objectives and putting them on the board. But to be honest, they bored me. They bored my students. As a classroom teacher, I need to know the objective my students being able to tell a principal who comes in and says, what's your objective for today? And because I've programmed it into them to know the objective, that's, me, that's creating little robots. You know, and what I've found is sometimes instead as educators, yes, we know what our objectives are, but if you don't tell the students what the objective is, and at the end of the class period, as they're leaving, ask them, you know, so what do you think our objective was today? Sometimes that's a really good test for the teacher to find out if the kids really, truly were learning what they wanted them to be learning. But it's also, it's, it's kind of like a spoiler, you know, we we're giving away too much and it it takes away those aha moments, the element of surprise when we've already told them exactly what they're going to learn that day, when we could have allowed them to have discovered and to have more just of um, those moments of just like, Oh, wow. This is how this happened. You know, this is, this is what happens when you mix uh baking soda with flour and, you know, you know, just yeah. you know, whatever
2: an experiment
0: may be. <laughs> so. I,
2: I have a similar, um, uh, piece like that, that, um, and it's related to structuring the classroom and the school, um, my brain works in a very structured way. I love structure. I love schedules. I love sticking to a timeline. But sometimes that structure hinders our ability to dig into the magic of learning. And I think we've really pulled away from letting students dig into the magic of learning for learning's sake and letting them have time to really explore and come to their own conclusions. If we tell them what the objective is, we are giving them the conclusion without really letting them find it on their own a lot of times. And something I'm kind of uh, working with my teachers and students on is, we help shepherd them through the journey. We give them the tools. We help them find the the resources and the research, but we let them form their own conclusions based on that information. It is not our job to tell them what the conclusion is. That takes away the learning for them, the most beautiful part of learning. Really comes in them forming their own opinions and conclusions based on the the research that they've done for themselves. So um, I, you know, TLA, which is the short for the school's name, it it doesn't look anything like I would have imagined because of the way my brain is structured. I would have thought it needed to be extremely structured, but in reality. Uh, It can be kind of messy because the students have to be in the driver's seat. They have to be given the freedom. And so that doesn't always look like clear cut learning objectives and timelines and uh, fitting into short segments of learning. Um, So it's very different than a traditional uh, classroom model that I would have liked of the past.
0: I am going to come and visit you when when it's uh, when it's safe yes. after the pandemic. I can't. I'm so excited about what's happening. I can't wait to see see what you're doing. And and learning should be messy. I had a. I remember having a principal come in and sitting down to do my evaluation. It was my last year in the classroom, and she said, "Rachel, I'll be honest with you. I come from um, academics. She'd been an English teacher, and she's just like you know when I would first come into your classroom." I thought, wow, this is chaos. It's loud. All the kids are doing different things. <laughs> no one's yeah. doing the same thing. And uh, and she said, you know, and then I realized that it's it's really organized chaos. And this is where real learning is happening. And that was one of the biggest compliments to me as a teacher, just to have that perspective from an outsider looking in and just to really see what was happening. And I, I love what you're saying, too, about learning being magical. Yes, it should be. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah,
1: You know what, Rachel, Lindsay, there's something early on I used to, one of the many things I used to do in the business world was I was a consultant, quote unquote. I worked for two Boston-based boutique consulting firms in process improvement and business development and, and so on. So they're small companies. You know, they were not far removed from startups. They were not huge And so I was talking to one of the principals as I was being interviewed to come aboard on one. And uh, I said, so what do you think? What's the most important thing I need to know? What's the most important quality I need to bring to the table if you guys are going to be interested in bringing me on? He said, it'll be your ability to deal with ambiguity. And I pondered that for a bit. Now, you know, I... There's chaos, quote unquote, there's ambiguity, there is uh, structure in ambiguity, but everything isn't always clear. There's a discovery process. So, you know, one of the amazing things to me is I heard both of you talk about these changes in education and things that I've learned just by being associated with Lindsay and her colleagues is we can keep going back and forth across the, the education business divide And you can find these commonalities. You can find these things that are important on both sides that not only need to be taught to the students, but need to be embraced and integrated and internalized in those that are facilitating the partnerships and facilitating the learning. There's a bunch of stuff on both sides that are very, very similar. So as you guys, again, talked about that, I was just struck. I I. I, I dipped into my memory banks from 150 yeah. years ago and recalled that statement. Uh, but yeah, it's to me, every time we I come across these conversations on the education side, I, I, I come across something similar in business that I've experienced.
0: Well, and I love that you're creating those parallels because they, that, that's something that we, as we mentioned before, truly need to do when we're thinking about our partnerships and at, bridging that gap between business and industry and what's happening in education. And I'm curious, do you have any additional tips or best practices for folks who are working on developing partnerships between education and business and industry? Because that is something that, well, for our audience with CTE leaders, that's something that's very, very important because we want to make sure that everything that we're doing in education is preparing students for that future workforce. And those partnerships are huge, um, but sometimes they're just not happening. So what, what tips do you have for our listeners?
1: Well, there's any number. And I'll let Lindsay jump in here too. But there's, you know, this, some of this stuff sounds trite and commonsensical, but they're, they're really aphorisms. I mean, trust is critical. Both sides, you know, there's many ways to get to trust and there's many ways to break trust. But there, you know, we we talk about something called the trust continuum. You, you're not going to have trust unless you have uh, understand. You know, a re- you have a relationship. You need to develop a relationship first, just like anybody does. Whether it's a casual and it becomes a good friendship, you know, it's not just a, it's not a vendor and a buyer. It's you're developing an interpersonal relationship. As you develop that interpersonal relationship, you know, you start moving into areas uh, that uh, are the basis of, of collaboration. And if you don't have collaboration, you can't have collaboration without trust. And you can't have a partnership without collaboration. So there's a continuum that goes on. And if you're going to end up With a sustainable partnership, you're going to have to build and sustain trust. Now, again, that sounds like mom and apple pie, but, you know, we could take, I I could talk for half an hour, I'm sure Lindsay could too, about, you know, it's as simple as you make a promise to, uh, you got a business partner, it's going along just fine, things are moving along and, you know, everybody feels good and they're happy about it and uh, somebody makes a commitment. Let's say somebody on the business side makes a commitment to the uh, to their uh, their education partner and they promise to deliver X by Y date. Well, the press of business takes place, things happen, things get lost in the mix, and it just disappears. Nobody purposely was doing it. Somebody just lost it. And they didn't think it was that important, but someone on the education side was waiting for that and they didn't feel compelled to call the business Uh, individual up because, well, you said you were going to do it and you didn't do it and and so on. And all of a sudden the trust starts falling apart. So how do you mitigate something like that? Really simple. I mean, you know, if you forget, oh my goodness, I forgot about this. You'll make a phone call. Hey, Lindsay, I promised to get this to you last week. I am so, so sorry. We got gummed up. I'm going to get this to you tomorrow. My apologies. I want to acknowledge it's my fault. What kind of bind did I put you in? Uh, Let me see if I can make it up to you and we'll deliver this, this, and this in addition. So you communicate. So it's these rudimentary essential skills that you utilize, but it all pings off a trust. So trust takes a long time to build up and it takes the snap of a finger to break. I don't know, Lindsay, does that resonate, I think? Absolutely.
2: I mean, the trust aspect, you you know, can't be understated really how important that is when you're going to have a true partnership. And one other piece to, I think, building that partnership um, and building that trust is making sure that both sides... Feel like their their needs, their goals, their objectives are heard, and there's a very good actionable plan to work towards those those goals and objectives. Um, something that Kevin Badgett, um, my colleague, and I have talked about is you know in the world of education because we are a um, kind of seen as a common good, a thing that adds to society. Uh, sometimes we get the idea as educators that businesses, you know, for-profit businesses, they owe us something because we're the ones you know preparing the the students who are then going to go on and enter their businesses. But in reality, if you want a strong partnership where there is that good solid trust sure. aspect, you have to make sure that the business, partners, their voices, their needs, their goals and, and desires are heard and part of the conversation and that there's a, a really good plan to to work towards those goals for them within the within the partnership. So I think that's something that's often missing in a in a solid partnership and that could help it be a little bit more sustainable. And it's something that I had not necessarily um thought about prior to John really bringing that out in this uh, framework of partnership development.
0: All right, Lindsay, thank you so much for that. And I just I just want to take a moment and let you know that I think your garage door is open. So just <laughs> yeah. so you know.
2: <laughs> a little bit of traffic going on in here. It's, you know. That's okay.
0: that that's okay. Covid times, at least you're not hearing my dogs barking in the background this time. so <laughs> yeah, no, but yes, and and I agree both of you with that the trust continuum and just that those relationships are so important, and trust is critical in every relationship in our lives. That's something that within our student organizations, when we're doing chapter trainings, that we really grill into into students because we want them to know at that young age, as being a teenager, that trust it truly is that that glue that holds things together and will Make a huge impact as they go throughout life, both in business and personal relationships. Right. And Lindsay, you are, as we've mentioned before, you're the founder of the Transformative Leadership Academy, which I'm coming to visit post COVID. Ah. And you're leading innovative work in education using the TLA model, which we've mentioned some, but can you share more about the conception story and the impact that the TLA model is having on the Academy?
2: Sure. So, um the the concept of TLA came out of, as I mentioned, some research in how to better meet the needs of our um, students for as 21st century learners. And that's a very significant piece to recognize. Learners have changed. the way they get their information has changed, and the way they interact with information has changed. and the job, Uh, and career fields have changed tremendously. The way their brains have to think um, has changed. So we have to really adjust the way we are uh, educating them and preparing them for those future roles. And that's where the concept of TLA came out of. There was an immediate need in the community that I'm in. um, And I've seen that as i mentioned before that students with different learning needs um are especially impacted by some of the uh, negatively impacted i'll say by some of the older models of education that we've used and so some of the primary uh pieces of the framework are we are very student centered we don't focus on structuring the day so that students are all mastering the same objectives at the same time, but we give some freedom and flexibility so students can move through content at the pace that matches their brain's needs for learning. So we know some students develop very quickly, they can master content very quickly, they may have a a strength in their memory, um, and so they can move through that content quickly. And uh, we don't put them into uh, situations where they're, they feel bored or they feel like this isn't really learning. Um, we also know that some students need more time to develop, and that's okay. They can take as much time as they need to develop in those skills, especially those foundational skills of um, literacy and math foundations. So that's a unique aspect of TLA. Is that we are very student centered. Um, another piece, as I mentioned before, uh, it's messy. We are project based learning uh, focused. We think that students learn best when they can get their hands. On and interact with the content. So, we try not to teach anything that may not be relevant to a student. We try to bring it to them so they can interact with it. And one way that we're doing that is with some innovative technology, which is something that John is really actually helping me with. As he's been networking and connecting me with some amazing people in the extended reality world, uh, people who are actually creating. These um, experiences and bringing them into education. So we're using virtual reality to help students interact with um, environments that we may not have access to in the real world um, in a school. And that allows them to really see it in action. And when they can see it in action, they can remember it. It has an impact on them. And that's when real learning happens uh, beyond just rote memorization. Um, another aspect that that makes us unique is we don't focus on high stakes, uh, standardized tests. And that's kind of, it's one of those things, you know, I believe in assessment. I believe there's a way to assess learners, but I believe it it moves so much further beyond just having students complete uh, a bubble sheet with a multiple choice question um, test. And that I don't think that that does a great job of letting us know what our students are learning and what they're still missing. And I also don't think it recognizes the fact that some students Uh, need more time to develop. And there's nothing wrong with that. That doesn't make that student wrong because they need that extra time and uh, different types of support. So those are some key elements of the transformative learning model in, in our school, TLA. Another aspect, as I had mentioned, that's very relevant to these education business partnerships is I believe that the community should play an active role in educating its children. Uh, I don't think teachers serve as the bed of all knowledge that they impart to students. Teachers are mentors and advisors. They guide students. They provide resources and tools to students for their learning. But we have some real experts in the community who are working in different career fields and we need to honor that by bringing them into the school and letting them have a an impact on our learners, letting them see what those careers entail, letting them help uh, implement those 21st century skills or essential skills, as John calls them. So I think that there's a huge need right now to to look at the way community members, um, organizational leaders, business leaders are coming into schools and and having a very active role and um, imparting knowledge and wisdom to our students. So not having it removed in the ways of old. So one way that we do that at TLA is we use the workshop model. So we have experts come in and they give workshops to our students about a huge variety of things. But just to name a a few examples that we've had in place this year is um, we have a a nursing instructor who comes in and does anatomy lessons with our students, so has really taught them a lot about the way the brain works, the way the heart works, Uh, and that's where we're at with that so far for this year. We've also had um, an opportunity for someone who works um, as a mechanic or a crane engineer actually come in and talk to the students about the mechanical advantage and how cranes actually operate and why they're useful. So a whole different realm of understanding and really putting those physics principles in place. We've had someone from UT Permian Basin who works in the science lab come in and show students how to dissect Uh, dissect a grasshopper, which was really fun because that played into our anatomy lesson as well. But um, those are just a few examples. We're always looking for partnerships. Well, one last one that I'll tell you because I'm pretty passionate about this uh, financial literacy. We have a, a new partnership with the president of our credit union. And Um, She comes in once a week and actually does lessons for our students on financial literacy, which is incredibly important for these students' future and something that had been missing for quite a long time in the curriculum. So those are some examples of of how we're transforming education at TLA. Okay, I have to say, I'm so glad that John
0: connected us because I think that uh, you're one of my kindred spirits hey. <laughs> and, how, and, how, and how you think and approach education. It's so exciting. And And I love that you mentioned 21st century learning skills because that's something that I keep hearing people in the education community say, we've got to stop referring to it as 21st century learning skills and I'm always kind of pulling my hair out in the background, listening to this concept, because a century is a hundred years. That's a really long time. And we have 80 years left in this century. So like, right. yes, we do need 21st century learning skills. Um, right. So, You know, that's, that's, that's very important that what, that what's happening is relevant. And I also the incorporating that virtual reality piece i think we're going to see a lot more virtual reality used within uh, within both education and within the business and industry world because there's just so much you can do i purchased an oculus quest headset over the summer every day i discover more stuff that i can do in virtual reality and my uh, sister and my nephew were over for social distancing dinner one night and i pulled out the vr set and and my sister was doing, um, it's called Sabre Beats, and she fell in love with it. So she got a headset, and she introduced my mom and my uh, dad to it. So now they have a headset at their house. And my mom calls and says, Rachel, I think you need to create a school that's completely in virtual reality. And I said, Mom, I love that idea, and I think you should do it, because I don't have time.
2: (laughs) Hey, that's not too far-fetched or too far away from what we are actually working on in real time um, with one of the colleagues that John introduced me to. But the Oculus uh, Quest is actually the headset that we have here at TLA, and our students just finished their first step badges. So they're getting their credentials to be a VR headset users and experts, but it's not too wow. far-fetched to say that we can set up some real classroom experiences in a virtual world. Um, there's another application that I want to throw out here because it is a free resource and it's called iLearn and it allows for these virtual meetings to happen. It's a virtual meeting space. And, you know, allowing students at, at any level to go in in this virtual space and interact, it, it moves you beyond just the video conferencing that we've been doing a lot of right now that I think a lot of people might be tired of um, into some ways to interact when we're still having to be a little bit isolated because of the current health concerns. Oh, I'm, I'm going to be checking that
0: out later today. I already pulled, pulled it up, pulled up a page on it. So thank you for sharing that. And for the folks who are listening in, if you're incorporating VR into what you're doing, I also encourage you to check out Rec Room, which is a free app that allows students to come together and create in a space. You can have kids from different schools or just within your school or or remote learning being able to connect in a virtual space there as well.
2: Yeah, and, and something that's important to mention here, we never want to use technology just for technology's sake. We want to make sure that the way we're using it is actually advancing the content that we're trying to, to deliver to the students or help them explore. And something that I've introduced to my students that I got from another colleague at UT Permian Basin, uh, Kara Rosenblatt, um, is the Triple E framework. And it really looks at how you're using technology in a lesson. Um, and, and identifying if you're really using it, if it's necessary, if it's engaging, if you're using it in the most meaningful way for the students because, you know, VR, they can be used purely for entertainment, of course. But we're not necessarily here to just be entertained in education, though I think entertainment is OK at times. But we need to make sure that the VR is actually moving us forward forward towards the learning goals that our students have set for themselves. And so, you know, one way that we're doing that, and this is a different approach, but we're letting the students look at a few different apps and their descriptions and kind of they can decide what would their goal be for this app what what would they uh, anticipate learning from this how can they connect it to other things that they're working on so that it's really meaningful but that triple e framework really helps put that there's a rubric available and, and you can just uh, you know google triple framework.com and there's a rubric to evaluate your lesson plans to see if you're using technology in the most meaningful way
0: uh, i'd love that you're incorporating the student feedback that they're really uh, truly being able to take ownership for their learning. And, you know, John, you and I have had some conversations, some uh, really deep conversations about disruptive technologies and how to move education forward instead of doing what we've always been doing. So I would love to have you jump in and share some thoughts on this topic and uh, and what you're already doing and what you envision for the future in this area.
1: I spent my career in technology, but it, it, It shall we say it was more primitive than artificial intelligence, but there are some connectivities. Uh, you know, I have the white beard, it's very long. No. Um, <laughs> uh,
0: but it wasn't um, primitive at the time though. No, it wasn't
1: primitive at the time. But
0: so Our, ours will be it, primitive soon.
1: <laughs> you know, you look at students today, and I even look at colleagues like Lindsay, I mean we talk about millennials or we will talk about, you know, other generations, uh and the adaptability to technology, but you know, a construct in, in, in business is, is, you know, stuff is tough, but it's pretty simple. Somebody, you know, the basic, (laughs) the basic equation is somebody has a problem. Do you have a solution to that problem? And is it worth this person to pay you for that solution? And how is that solution going to continue to help me or grow and change. So what's the biggest problem that we across the board have run into in the last number of months? COVID. It has turned everything upside down. Um, and Lindsay and I had some initial conversations. A matter of fact, it stopped our partnership dead in its tracks because we're trying to figure out, okay, you now we have COVID-19 here. We have to deal with all the distancing issues we have, we have literal physical valleys now. How are we going to do what essentially is work-based learning? How are we essentially going to put internships together? Um, you know, this isn't just going to work. You know, Zoom was a nice little thing, but I'm not saying Zoom is becoming a- antiquated at all. It's still valuable. But that is a, a pretty rudimentary piece, uh, a camera and a screen. Uh, but you know, we need to go farther than that. One of the conversations we continued to have using that thought about business, we've got a problem. Do you have a solution? And what's it worth to you? We look at COVID as as a lemon. How are we making lemonade out of COVID? Well, we're gonna make a lemonade. We're gonna use COVID as an accelerator. And this is just, you know, we're human beings. Everybody gets some of us are adventuresome, some of us aren't. Some of us need to be pushed. Some of us need to be pulled back. But the whole idea of innovation sometimes is hard. The idea of doing changes that would be smart to do but perhaps aren't really necessary, you know, sometimes don't get addressed. And, you know, again, it sounds Pollyanna-ish, but, you know, COVID, and and, and I do not mean to make this statement uh, in light of all the horrible things that COVID has caused and the deaths and the pain it's caused in families. However, what it's also caused, it's been a push now in the education world, how do we get across this bridge? Well, the idea of extended reality and virtual reality to help create environments for work-based learning and to help do it safely and to help create internships is really a way of taking this bad lemons and turning them into good, you know, thirst quenching lemonade. And, um, and we talk about that now all the time. Yeah, how can we turn? How can we take this lemon turn into lemonade? So technology, it's, we're being forced to do that. And, you know, I've talked to instructors, we've had focus groups. And, you know, anonymously, I've had x amount of you know, Lindsay's colleagues or individuals I've gotten to know in the education world and, in, you know, in the CTE world and some of your colleagues, Rachel says, listen, we have got to get we have to figure out a sustainable way to deal with COVID, to, to deal with internships, to cross this divide for work based learning. And we can't just use Zoom. Well, we have that we we have some very promising technologies and very active technologies that we can utilize. And Lindsay, as Lindsay mentioned, we have a partnership we're developing and we're bringing that to the forefront. We're incorporating that into the business partnership development program because it's something that's necessary on both sides. Even though this situation has been a terrible, unfortunate situation, it has necessitated for those that want to and couldn't push themselves to, those that thought about this was great but I don't have the time, those who haven't even thought about it. It has forced and pushed all of us to take advantage of these technologies to bridge this
0: gap. Absolutely. And I think that you're hitting the the nail on the head with this whole idea of looking at finding the positives in a situation that, that is negative and finding ways to really use this to move education forward. And Lindsay, with your, in your context with the uh, COVID-19, it sounds like you're still in person or are you, what's happening? Do you mind sharing a little bit about what's happening in your world as far as the pandemic?
2: Yeah, I'd I'd be happy to share. So, you know, as with everyone back in March, we were uh, mandated to go to virtual learning by the governor. And so we finished out last spring and, and it was actually our first year of the school being open. So it was a little bit heartbreaking, but so many amazing things came out of it. We really focused on our relationship development with our parents in that moment to, to take learning into the homes. But it was kind of beautiful. So I'm a, I'm an eternal optimist. John will tell you that. I'm always trying to look at the bright side. So even though that was tough, it was still pretty wonderful. We saw some great outcomes for our students. But then the area that we are in, it's in the western part of Texas. We actually haven't had as many cases here, luckily. And um, in the small community that I'm in, which is Monahans, Texas, we've had a very limited amount. So we were able to come back to school for face-to-face learning in September. And what we've done, and this is kind of our approach with everything, we allow the parents to choose and make adjustments kind of on the fly in response to what we're dealing with. So, uh, and we're a small learning community, so I know that for bigger school districts that's just impossible. And I, you know, I don't underestimate how hard that would be for them, but we put out surveys, we talked to parents about what the best plan of action for their family was. It was a huge burden to ask them to educate their children and uh, it kind of was eye-opening about some of the um some of the misses with how we how we do education and where our parents feel like they can play a strong role and how we support them and it helped us identify some big issues that had been in place and try to remediate those. But anyways, coming back in the fall, we talked to our parents, we put out a survey and we let them choose on a day-to-day basis if they're going to send their kid or if their child is going to stay home and do virtual learning. And for the most part, all of our families wanted to come back to face-to-face learning. And so that's what we've been doing. And um, our community is still a pretty healthy and so we're still able to push forward and just taking it, you know, about one day at a time with the updates on what what COVID is doing and the impact that it's having. So we we are lucky enough, I guess, to have some face to face learning back in.
0: Well, I can imagine being an internal optimist is a is definitely a benefit and something that makes your staff, your students, and the families and community members. Um, it's it's probably a, a breath of fresh air to have your presence. So uh, kudos to you for that.
2: Sometimes it makes my husband scratch his head because he's a realist, he tells me. this is what John says as well. But my husband tells me I'm a realist. And I'm like, can we not just look on the bright side here? But it makes him scratch his head. <laughs> yeah, I try that that to, makes for a good balance.
1: I yeah. try to be an optimist, but I, I'm a pragmatist who gets okay. happy now and then, you know, and, <laughs> Sometimes I'm a pragmatist who gets sad, and so. You know, when, I just think if you look, put the good vibes wags, out
2: there, oh, she waves a John.
1: virtual finger at me and just says, "You're a pessimist. Don't be such a pessimist. Got <laughs> to keep your chin up. You got to do this." Uh, yes, ma'am. Yes. I'm yes, yes, under
2: yes. the belief if you put put the good vibes out there that you know good things continue to happen. Just. No, you create your own reality with your mindset. So that's a firm belief that I have. So I try to stay on the positive side of most things.
0: Lindsay, I I tend to err on your side as well. So I think that, uh, like you, I have a husband that keeps me in balance. Who is probably more of John's personality. <laughs> so we, we need we need all types of people and keep each other in For check. Sure. So that's
2: <laughs> definitely that's an
0: advantage. <laughs>
2: Definitely. Oh wait,
0: is that is that an an internal or an eternal optimistic approach to that as well?
2: Absolutely, it is. <laughs> Absolutely,
1: <laughs> I'm not going to say oh. anything more or I'll get in trouble. So just <laughs> that's going. not
0: true. Well, and, and I do want to. I know we're we're coming to a close here, but I wanted to see if either of you have any final thoughts or anything that you wanted to add that maybe I didn't ask you about that would be of value to our listeners.
2: You know, I have one more thought I, I'd like to share and you know it has to do with educators and in this moment you know one of the most important things i think you can do is is be brave be brave enough to look at your practices and see if they are really what is a good fit for our for our children for our students for our future and and be brave enough to take action on those things that are not working um You know, I think we stick with what's familiar and comfortable sometimes for far too long. And so this is kind of a call to action to be brave. There are so many things within our current education system that really have to change. And it's going to take a lot of bravery To make those changes, and I have my favorite quote, which I actually got from Kevin Badgett, but now I just hold so true to this. But I want to tell you, uh, it is whatever you can do, or dream you can, or dream you can begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it, and and it's by Johann Wolfgang Van Gogh. Um, But hold to that—that bravery. Mm,
0: absolutely love that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that quote and also for reminding us to be brave and to, to take risks really when it comes down to it, to risk failure. Absolutely. How about you, John?
1: Nothing more than uh, the extension of my thanks to you to, uh, to allow us uh, to come on and talk about what I think is this terrific project. And um, you know, Lindsay has, uh, has given her statement to educators, you know, as a business guy, I would tell businesses, you know, the investment that you're being asked to make in education and your participation will be paid back a hundred times over. So be brave too, fellow business people.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh-huh. Well, thanks, thanks so much to both of you. This has just been a fantastic conversation, and I know some of our listeners are going to want to reach out to you and learn more, or ask questions, and connect. You know, we we need more, more connections to create some of these opportunities. So. If you click on and expand the description of this episode in the Incilla podcast in the Anchor app or website, depending on what you're using, you'll be able to find their contact information and some links that will show more about both of their journeys, as well as their bios and additional information. And for those of you who are listening, if you would like to be a guest on the podcast, or if you have ideas for topics that you would like for us to address in future episodes, please email me at info at ncla-cte.org. And thanks again, John and Dr. Baldarez. I really appreciate you being on the, on the podcast today. Thank, Thank you, you Rachel. so much. Thank you. So enjoyable. you.